Well, it's good to be here tonight. We are continuing in our Through Him, For Him series. And last week, Chris presented to us what I think is one of the most moving messages that we've heard at Generation Church. It just hit my heart hard last week. And he told us how much God loves us, how much, in fact, God is madly in love with us. It's not about what we've done, what we can do, what, what we will do. Just God looks upon us and he just looks upon us in love. I don't know about you, but that's just an amazing truth to hear. That God loves us that much. Well, as we've gone through this series, we've talked uh, so far about how everything was created through Jesus and for Jesus. In week one, we talked about that we as a church and individuals, we are created to make Jesus famous. We're created to glorify Jesus and we're created to bring pleasure to Jesus. And so as we continue in that tonight, we're going to take a different look, not so much at ourselves, but we're going to take a look at the world around us. So about a year and a half ago, my cousin took his family to Disney, and uh, he invited us to go down, so we, I don't know what we were thinking, but we decided to go to Disney with him. Ten days in Disney is enough for a lifetime. You may be a Disney lover, but Disney's crazy, and ten days is more than enough. But he uh, had talked to a lot of people before he came over. He lives in England. They live in Manchester, England. And he had talked to a lot of people about what he should do while he's in the Orlando Kissimmee area. So what people said, you have to go to an American mall. I don't know why, because malls are dying. So, but he said, you have to go to an American mall. There's nothing like it. So we took him to the American mall. And he goes, this is just like a British mall. I was like, yeah, it's a mall. <laughs> and someone else said to him, says, well, you have to go and get a hamburger. And so we were looking around where to get a good hamburger. And so we took him to Five Guys. And he's like, oh, we have these in, in England. Like when I go to London on business, they have a Five Guys. I'm like, okay. He was like, I'm striking out here. Then the third thing on his list was Golden Corral. I tried to avoid, to, to, to say, no, you do not want to go to Golden Corral. Like no buffets in the United States at all are good, unless it's Fogo de Char, right? That's about it. And, but he was insistent. No, my brother says I have to go to Golden Corral. So we took him to Golden Corral, and he was just like, yeah, we probably shouldn't have come here. It wasn't great. But as we arrived at Disney, he was looking around, and suddenly he said, nobody told me. And he got kind of angry. Nobody told me about the matching T-shirts. If you've ever been to Disney, there's matching T-shirts everywhere. Everyone's wearing matching T-shirts. I remember one year we had to go, I went with my, uh, uh, my, my wife's family, and it was my in-law's uh, 60th wedding anniversary, and they all made T-shirts of my in-law's faces on the T-shirt, and they made us all walk around Disney with my in-law's faces on the T-shirt. I was not blessed pleased that day to do that. The matching t-shirts. Why didn't anyone tell me about the matching t-shirts? We would have got matching t-shirts. 
matching t-shirts so everybody knows who's in the same crowd. I don't know about you, but I feel that sometimes Christians have matching t-shirts or Christians like t-shirts. There's something about t-shirts. When I moved to America, I was like, what's the deal with all the churches and t-shirts? Everybody wants a church t-shirt. And so I started looking around and people started wearing Christian t-shirts. Like, what's the deal with the Christian t-shirts? And so I got a couple of Christian t-shirts that I want to show for you uh, tonight. They, uh, yeah, May not uh, you may not be able to see it all the way at the back, but this one uh, it's a little cheesy. It says "Eternal Advisory Jesus Lives." You know, I mean, who would wear that? Anybody? Anybody cheesy enough to wear that? Uh, what about this one? If you like Reese's peanut butter cups, uh, it says "Jesus." King of Kings, and I can't even read what's in the middle there. Oh, it says sweet savior in it. <laughs> sweet savior, right? I mean, that's, uh, you know, that's the coolest thing ever. This is my favorite Christian t-shirt. You may not be able to read it much. It says, want a taco about Jesus? Let us pray. I'm like, that's pretty awesome, right? I think I actually might wear that at a cheesy party, you know, if uh, I was going to a taco party or something. For you Lord of the Rings fans, here's another one, the Lord of all things, right? The Lord of all things. They just get worse and worse, right? Who remembers the amazing race? How about the amazing grace? You know, somebody actually wore that and somebody actually paid money to buy that. You know, this was the original one. Uh, It was the Coca-Cola one, Enjoy Jesus Christ. Uh, it says, thou shall never thirst. I remember when I was a kid, it was like, Jesus Christ, he's the real thing. Uh, and so then how about you, uh, Star Wars fans? Uh, may the Lord be with you, people. May the Lord be with you. Forget the force. May the Lord be with you. And this is probably the cheesiest of all. And I could see like some sort of college student wearing this after a night out. It says, relish what is it? Relish sweet Jesus. And then it says, let's exalt his name together. Real, real cheesy. Anyone want to agree with that? So how many of you would like to admit that you own a Christian t-shirt? Anybody? Like, you, who wears them? And you wear them. Yeah, like Steph's got one on today. Not today, Satan. That's pretty cool. But not as cheesy. But people wear these Christian t-shirts. I have a brother-in-law who loves to wear these kind of things. To get their name out, we're Christians. We're Christians. We love Jesus. We want the world to know we love Jesus. And every true believer of Christ will feel that tension of how and when to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with others. Some people are so shy. And I'm prepared that they will never share the gospel with others at all costs. I will never tell anybody that I love Jesus. But then there are others who are very forward and even intrusive about their faith. And they will force it on people. I'm a golfer. I love to golf. And I've been told many times, in the circle that I play golf in, there's this one guy called Stuart, and I've been told, never play golf with Stuart, uh, because you will be a born-again Christian by the time you finish 18 holes. He has this reputation that no one wants to play with him, because he will force them to get to their knees and pray the sinner's prayer before they get to the 18th hole. And his reputation goes before him. And while it's the Father's desire and the Father's heart that all would come to know and follow his son Jesus, 
I believe that God is a little bit more sensitive to people and where they are on their own spiritual journey than needing people to be on their face saying the sinner's prayer before they finish 18 holes of golf. I want to turn you to a scripture that's found in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts. It's found in chapter 17, and the Apostle Paul has, uh, has been going around what they call Asia Minor, which is like Turkey and then Eastern Europe and Greece and all those areas around there. And he's been going and proclaiming the name of Jesus and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, that Jesus loves them and Jesus died for their sins. And he's been setting up churches around. And then he gets to the city of Athens the biggest city in Greece. This is the place where all the philosophers of the day came from and they, and they, and they, uh, and they congregated to Athens to talk about their philosophies. And this is what Paul says in Acts chapter 17, verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. He went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles, and he spoke daily in the public square to all who happened to be there. He also had a debate with some of the um, Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. When he told them about Jesus and his resurrection, they says, what's this babbler trying to say with these strange ideas he's picked up? Others said he seems to be preaching about some foreign gods. Then they took him to the high council of the city. Come and tell us about this new teaching, they said. You are saying some rather strange things, and we want to know what it is all about. It should be explained that all the people of Athens, as well as the foreigners in Athens, seem to spend all their time discussing the latest ideas, like a bunch of politicians, right? Talking about a bunch of garbage, right? It says, so Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows, men of Athens, I notice that you are very religious in every way. For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines, and one of your altars had this inscription on it, to an unknown God. This God whom you worship without knowing is the one I'm telling you about. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples, and human hands can't serve his needs. For he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything. Like we've been talking about, everything is through him. He is the one who gives life and breath to everything. And he satisfies every need. From one man, he created all the nations through the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. For in him we live and move and exist. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. 
And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times. But now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And he proved to everyone who this was by raising him from the dead. Paul is standing in what is known as Mars Hills. Mars Hill. And he is declaring about the good news of Jesus. He sees idols everywhere. Idol worship. People are coming to worship false gods. And then he sees this inscription to an unknown God. And Paul is realizing these are people who are seeking. They are religious people. They just don't know what they're seeking. And I want to draw your attention to verses 27 and 28. This is what Paul says. God's purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Then in verse 28, it says, For in him we live and move and exist. Paul makes this statement. It's God's purpose that the nations should seek after God. But I love what Paul says to them. And perhaps they will find him. And perhaps they will find him. They will work their way towards him and find him. God knows that not everybody will find him. God knows that not everybody will live a life that honors God. But his desire is that everyone would come towards him and perhaps find him. This is an incredible statement, and this is why. Because for you, if you've been in the church a long time, this may throw some of your theology away a little bit. This may challenge some of your theology. I know it challenges a lot of my theology. Because this is an incredible statement, because it throws out the notion that we need people to say the sinner's prayer, and once that's done, our part is done. And that isn't the role of the church. I grew up in a, a church, on a, we used to have Sunday morning service and Sunday night. Sunday morning was for the Christians, Sunday night was for the non-Christians, even though it was filled with Christians. And every Sunday night, the goal of Sunday night, it wasn't if the worship was good. It wasn't if God showed up. It wasn't if, if the, the, the tea or the coffee was hot enough. The goal of it, it wasn't that it was a packed house. The goal of Sunday night was that at least one person was raise their hand and say the sinner's prayer. That was the goal. That's what I grew up in. But here, Paul is saying that God's desire is that the nations would seek him and move towards him and perhaps find him. This is what I know. For a person's spirituality is more complex than a one-time event. It is the journey that never stops in life. 
And as Christians and as a church, we long for that moment where someone says, yes, I'm accepting Jesus. I'm going to let him into my heart. And we're like, we've done our job. But someone's spirituality is so much more complex than that. It is a journey. And even though there may be a line of faith where someone says, yes, I'm committing my life to Jesus, it doesn't stop there. The journey actually started way before. It started even before they were in their mother's womb where God says, I knew you and called you by name. And they are walking through this journey of life, hoping that one day they'll cross the line of faith. But yet they keep going and continuing to go, working their way towards God, perhaps finding God. God desires that people seek him. Jesus said, if you seek me, you will find me. And Paul talks to these people in Athens, and it is obvious they are seeking God. There are idols everywhere. There's a shrine to an unknown God. They're seeking, they're searching for something more in life. They know that this isn't it. There is more to life than this. And while the culture we live in today is not full of shrines, You don't see shrines everywhere. You don't see inscriptions to an unknown God. The reality is this. The people that we live with, the people that we work with, the people that we associate ourselves with, they are seeking. They are searching for more. From the decisions that they make, you can see they are searching. From their pursuit of happiness, they are seeking for more. And this is what they're seeking. They're ultimately seeking for God. Jesus said that the fields are white unto harvest, but the laborers are so few. And this is the world we live in today. We live in a world that is seeking Spiritually, there is a huge harvest of people seeking God and searching for God. But the laborers or the followers of Jesus who are the laborers, they are so few or they're unwilling or they are unprepared or they are using the wrong tools to harvest a generation of God searchers. This is what I know. The methods that my father, who was a pastor for 40 years, used back in the 60s are methods that probably won't work in 2020. We need to look at people as Paul looked at people. For those of you who have maybe, you know, over, over 40, over 50, you remember a time when Christian values ruled our culture, that people went to church on a Sunday, and on Monday you got to work, and you talked about, oh, I went to church and had a good time, and, and it's nothing to see people praying, and, and people reading their Bible, and people living by good Christian values, but that isn't the culture we live in today. We live in a culture that many people have called post-Christian. And so we need to work in a way and exist as a way and, and thrive as a way as a church in a different way to reach our culture. And Paul was talking to people. He wasn't talking to Jews who knew God. Paul was talking to the people of Athens who worshiped this God and that God and this philosophy and that philosophy. And that's why Paul said... That these people, 
need to work their way towards God and perhaps find God. Paul says that it is through God everything was made. Through, everything, through him, everything has life and breath. For his good pleasure, he desires that people would find him and seek him. But this is what I know when it comes to evangelism. We need to stop having a conversion mentality and start thinking like Paul. And this is what I mean by that. A conversion mentality is that someone is my personal spiritual project. And until they say their sinner's prayer, my project is not done. It's not over. And I don't know about you, but I live and work in a lot of circles of people who are far away from God. And the biggest complaint I have, I hear from them about Christians, is that they just get to know me because I'm their project. I hear that a lot. And that saddens me. Because if Jesus is a God who loves us, and his love has transformed us, then we should be people of love, not people of projects. We should be people who pour out love, whether someone is far away from God or close to God, not as our project. Instead, our role is to direct people to feel their way to God. The, the, the old proverb says, you can lead a, water, a course to water, but you can't make it drink. You can, you can bring someone to church, but you can't make them a Christian. Well, I would go to as far as saying, you can't even lead someone to God. You can just direct them to God. If there was a line from us to God, and we could call into God, I'm sure God would say, you need to be in the midst of these people. You need to show them what it really means to love me. You need to show them what, what it means to be changed and transformed by me. Because it's not your words that are going to change them. It's the love that exuberates out of your life that is going to change them. See, when your life interacts with the life of Jesus, something amazing happens. This is what happens when you meet Jesus. Your life starts to be changed from the inside out. First, there's something called the regeneration of your heart. Your heart starts to change. Jesus talked about it time and time again. You see it in John chapter 1. It says that you must be born again of the Spirit of God. There is a regeneration of your heart. Your heart is changed. Your soul is touched. Your mind opens up to the wonders of God. And then through the help of the Holy Spirit, your character starts to change. And your decisions become less and less about searching for more and more and more about engaging more with Jesus. And so Paul told his listeners that it is through him and in him we live and we move and we exist. 
Paul here was using a well-known phrase from a Greek poet. His name was Epimendes, who, were, who was known to say this, that we live, we move, and we exist. And so Paul was using the words of the day to reach the people uh, of the day. But these words should be a motto for all those who follow Jesus. For in doing what Paul says, as a church and in individuals, we become those laborers who help gather the harvest for Jesus. So the first thing that Paul says, that it is in him, in Jesus, that we live. In him we live. Throughout this series, we've mentioned that we are created to make Jesus famous, to glorify Jesus, to bring pleasure to Jesus. And when we live in him, it means that our lives are a shining light of Jesus. It is all for him. And as believers of Jesus, we don't live for ourselves anymore, but we live for him. That's just a basic conduct of faith. That if you've come to give your life to Jesus, then your life is no longer about you. It is about him. A life that glorifies Jesus is a life that stands out. It's a life that points the way. That's because Jesus says that you are a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Your life is a life that shines in the darkness. Your life should be different to everybody else around you because you have the life of Jesus within you. In him, you live. When your life is set up to glorify Jesus, then those who are seeking Jesus are able to feel their way to Jesus. Why? Because the presence of Jesus is within you. And where you go, the presence of Jesus goes. The light of Christ is within you, and where you go, that light shines. So then, does your life glorify Jesus? If Jesus was to come into your home, you'd be like, oh no, Jesus, not quite yet. Let me tidy up a little bit. What if Jesus was to listen to your conversations? What if Jesus was to watch the way you raised your kids? What if Jesus was to look through your spending habits or read through your life values? What if Jesus was to get insight into your innermost thoughts and desires? Would he say, yes, there is a life that is built to glorify me. That is what Paul says, means when he says, in him we live. But he didn't just say in him we live, he also says in him we move. We move. We are active human beings. Well, some of us more than others, right? But we're always on the move, especially us Marylanders, right? If you go to the Midwest or the South, they're a little slower in their movements, you know. People don't move around as much, but us Marylanders, we're crazy. We're like here and there. We're like one weekend, we're at the beach. Next weekend, we're at the mountains. Then we're in New York City. Then we're down in Florida. We're everywhere, just not home, right? That's Marylanders for you. 
We're always on the move. Some of us never stop. Where we go, are we making an impact? Are we, what are we taking with us when we go places? What are we leaving behind? Are people pleased to see us come? Or are they excited to wave goodbye to us? Tomorrow morning when you go to work and you see your co-workers, are they so happy to see you? Or are they just miserable? Are we making Jesus famous? Or are we trying to make ourselves famous? See, we have the Spirit of Jesus with us, he, within us. He is working through us to bring those who are searching closer to Him. That may, means where we go, He goes. So I want to ask you a kind of a personal question today. What scent are you leaving behind? What scent are you leaving behind? Every one of you has a scent. You don't know it. If you're married... It, a lot of people says it's that scent that attracted your spouse to you. I don't know about that. I, when I first met Raquel, I was like, man, you smell like tacos. I actually said that. It sounds pretty bad. I did say that. It's because sh she was eating a lot of Hispanic food at the time, and it smelled like tacos at the time. What scent are you leaving behind? She smells a lot better these days, let me tell you. But I have a favorite cologne. My favorite cologne is by a, a brand called Mont Blanc, Mont Blanc Legend. That's my favorite cologne. And a few years ago, my wife Raquel got me uh, this subscription for fragrances because I just like wearing cologne. I like different fragrances. And each month, I would get different fragrances in the mail, and I would try them all out. And I would try different ones, and there was famous ones, ones I hadn't heard of before, and ones I'm like, oh, yeah, I've really been wanting to try this scent. But each of us have a personal scent. And see, the bells are going again, right? Do you hear that? So we each have a personal scent. And, 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 and what may smell good on James may not smell good on me. But it may smell good on Chris, Right? but it may not smell good on me. And what may not smell good on you guys, you're like, that's gross. It smells good on me. That's just the way, that's why there's so many different fragrances out there. Well, I found this fragrant, Monk Bronk legend, Legends, that everywhere I went, it was just, everyone was like, wow, that smell is awesome. Like, you smell great. I'm like, yeah, thanks. But what I would find, it was staying on my clothes. And sometimes... If I was gone for a couple of days or something, Raquel, just to remind herself of me because she loves me so much, she would get like one of my shirts and just smell it. And she would smell the fragrance on there and it would remind her of me. Wherever you go, you are leaving a fragrance behind whether you know it or not. And is that fragrance a fragrance that is glorifying Jesus, making Jesus famous? It is shining the light on Jesus. Or is it a fragrance that is doing injustice to Jesus? 
The scent of Jesus should be left behind wherever we go. In him we live, in him we move. And then finally and very quickly, in him we exist. In him we exist. Some translation says, in him we have our being. This is all about purpose. People are trying to search for their purpose in life. Everybody wants to know what their purpose is. You ask someone, find your purpose, go and do it, and you'll be happy with life. But really what they are saying is not what is your purpose. They're misunderstanding it. They're really saying what is your mission in life. Because people are searching for their purpose in things, in activities, in their gifts and their talents. And they're searching in the wrong place because they're not searching for purpose. They're actually searching for their mission in life. Your life's mission statement will not bring you fulfillment. For your life's mission is not your purpose. And we can't get this mixed up. Your purpose in life was not to become an actor. Your purpose in life was not to become a football player. Your, football in li- your purpose in life was not to become a mother. Your purpose in life was not to become an engineer or a pastor or a political advocate or a teacher or to sit in a cube all day and be bored to your brains. That was probably your mission in life. And these can all be great missions for life. But your purpose has only one thing. There is only one reason why you exist. And that is to bring pleasure to God. That is your purpose in life. And when you are searching outside the realms of God for purpose, you will search all your life. Because our purpose is only in one thing. And that is in God. And when you understand this is your purpose, then the pressure is off. We're not looking for our purpose anymore. You start to be fulfilled in life because your fulfillment comes from knowing that you are a child of the Most High God. And all you ever need is at at His disposal. We need to stop searching and start seeking. Because your purpose is in Him. Your mission may be to be a musician. Or to be a writer. Your mission may be to be a great father or mother. Your mission in life may be to be a TV presenter. I don't know. But your purpose in life is to glorify him and bring good pleasure to him. See, our role as followers of Jesus isn't to wear Christian t-shirts. And say, hey, look at me, I'm a Christian. You're my project. I'm not stopping until you say the sinner's prayer. Our role as followers of Jesus isn't to take someone else who doesn't know Jesus on a golf course and convert them within 18 holes. Our goal in life isn't to listen to a 30-minute pastor's sermon and say, that's it, I've done my religious duty. Our role in life, our purpose in life, 
God's desire for us in life is to light the way for the world around us to seek God, perhaps feel their way towards God, and hope that they find God. We live in a world that is seeking. There are idols everywhere. People are building shrines to unknown gods in their lives, and they are searching. So therefore, as children of God, which you, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are a child of God. You found him. And if you found him, let's fully embrace the fact that in him we live and we move and we exist. So then a world around us will perhaps feel their way towards God. And maybe, just maybe, find him. Let's bow our heads in prayer. That's why your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed this morning, tonight. In a moment, we're just going to sing one more worship song before we close. But I want to ask you tonight... If you're not in this place, if you're in this place tonight and you haven't realized that you're searching for Jesus and you've never experienced him in your life tonight, I want to help you feel your way towards him tonight. Because he's the one that you're seeking for. He's the one that you're searching for. And I want you to open up your hearts to him and just ask him to come and make his love and life and forgiveness and presence a resident in your heart. I want you to invite him in tonight. It's not the end of a spiritual journey, it's really just the beginning. But if that's you tonight and you know that you've been searching and seeking and tonight you've realized it's Jesus that I'm seeking, then I want you to just invite him in tonight and say, Jesus, I give my life to you. If you're a follower of Jesus and you profess him as your Lord and Savior, then I'm going to ask you three questions tonight. The first one is, do you live in him? Do you live in him? Wherever you go, are you shining a light for him? The second question is, do you move in him? Are you taking his presence with you wherever you may go? Whether it's the office or whether it's the kids' baseball or soccer game or if it's the school or if it's the group of friends that you hang out with. Are you taking Jesus with you? Are you proactively taking his presence with you? In him are you moving? And then the third question I have for you tonight, in him are you existing? 
are you living to bring pleasure to Him, to glorify Him? Is your life's purpose, your life's goal to bring pleasure to Jesus, to glorify Jesus? Because if it's not, you'll keep searching and searching and searching and searching and searching and seeking and seeking. And then maybe you get to this place, this Christian thing isn't even for me. It's because you're searching in the wrong place. So I want to ask you to ask those three questions to yourself tonight. We're going to pray. And after we pray, we're going to stand and we're going to worship God. And as we worship God tonight, I want us to worship with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul, with all of our strength. Because it's in Him and through Him that we live, that we move, that we exist. We have our very being. And so, Father God, tonight we thank You that our purpose is in You. We thank You that You love us so much, God, that our purpose is designed around You to glorify You, to bring good pleasure to You. And so, Father, we pray, Lord, that as you make your residence in our hearts, Lord, as your presence goes with us, that where we go each and every day, Lord, that we will help in that great mission of yours, that the nations will seek you, that they will perhaps move closer to you towards you and find you we pray for our co-workers and the people in our schools God we pray for our friends Lord and the people in our neighborhoods Lord we pray for our family all those God who are seeking and searching Father we pray Lord that you will help to use us to show the light of Christ to them that they may move towards you and perhaps find you so Father we pray for them Lord, that they will find their purpose in life, which is to glorify you. Lord, that joy will fill their hearts and their souls. God, we pray that you'll challenge us tonight to live in you, to move in you, and exist in you. We ask in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's stand. Let's worship him tonight.